0: All right. Well, good morning, church. Um, For those of you that don't know me, my name is Chris Piper. And I don't think I've been more excited in my life to be up here this morning to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And um, first and foremost, I'll just tell you that when I get really excited, I talk really fast. Okay, and so I'm going to do my best to slow down. And every once in a while, I might actually pause, believe it or not, and let you think, okay? Um, But I'm going to do my best to get through this in about 45 minutes to an hour. I think he told me I had 60 minutes, so, um, right, Matt? No, I'll I'll get through this as quick as I can. But ultimately, here's my my hope that we leave today um, recognizing who God is. And we leave here not the same way that we came in. Okay, If you come every single Sunday morning and you leave the same, then God hasn't done what he wants to do in your life. And I'll just tell you this as well. I'm kind of a voice, I'm kind of a vocal person, okay? And it's okay, just so you guys know, to say amen. It's okay to be engaged enough to say something back to me or to the congregants or even to God himself when something's proclaimed. That's worthy of saying something back. So don't sit there um, and be disengaged because I'm going to try my best to keep you on track here. But ultimately, as I told you, I'm super excited to be up here. I am one of the serving elders and it's been my joy to serve with the team. It's been my joy to serve alongside every one of you. And um, everything that I'm going to say today is in the belief of 2 Timothy 3.16. And it says that all scripture is breathed out. By God, it's profitable for teaching and for reproof and for correction and for training in righteousness. So that the man of God can be complete, equipped for every good work. So I had the privilege of speaking on the final (laughs) tolerable sin message. And as we've all said already, there are no sins that are tolerable. But it's the one that I feel ultimately roots back. As we were reading through the passages and praying, only thing that I could think about was all of these sins root back to one major point, and it's selfishness. And I'm going to be honest right now and tell you, you are selfish. Okay? I don't know if you heard me. You are selfish. Look to your neighbor and tell him you're selfish. <laughs> Hey, I'm getting there. Pause. I appreciate the feedback already, though. Look to your neighbor and tell him you are selfish. Now, tell yourself because it's really easy to see the sin in our neighbors. Jesus preaches on that really clearly. Look to your yourself and say, "I am selfish." I don't know if you can feel the weight of that this morning. But I feel the weight of that every single day when I wake up and I have to choose whether I'm going to serve God or I'm going to choose to serve myself. And the memory verse for this week comes directly from our passage that we're going to be reading in just a few moments. And it's on the screen. And we've probably read this multiple times in our life. But the question is, are you living it? Blessings don't come from reading the word of God, but by doing what it says. How are you doing with that, church? Are you doing what the word of God proclaims? Or are we simply just reading it or maybe not reading it at all? You have to do what it says for the blessings to come. Now, I'm not up here to preach a prosperity gospel. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about so that we can be righteous, glorifying God in everything that we do. But it says to do nothing. Raise your voices. What does it say to do That wasn't good enough to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. I mean, look around you, church. Maybe it's the same pew. Maybe it's the same chair. If you look next to your left or right, that's the people that God's called you to serve today. Look around the church and you might see some unfamiliar faces. And the question is, you're called to serve those people. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourself. So you may be thinking, wow, Chris, this is really encouraging so far. You've really uh, brought up the the, uh, positivity in the room. There's hope that's coming. Amen. There's hope that's coming and it's coming in the message, but it's also coming one day when Jesus comes back. But there's there's work to do in our life. There's work to do in the life of the church. Little C capital C. And so selfishness is put this way. It's defined this way and no better way to explain it than to simply just read it. It's the condition of putting one's own interests before those of others. It's exclusive regard to the one's own interest or happiness. It's self-love or self-preference, which leads to a person to direct their purpose to the advancement of their own interest, their own power, their own happiness. It's simply living a life without the regard to the people next to you. That's what selfishness is. And Jesus says it, Paul says it in Philippians here, that it's that. It's doing things for ourself. How can I glorify myself today? How can I make it about me today? As I was studying this week and really trying to think through, and I say this week, it's really been about seven weeks I've been preparing for this. So I've got a lot of time to process and think and change and, and really decide, what is it that the Lord wants to proclaim today? It's not me up here telling you what you should do. I believe it's God telling you what you're supposed to do. But ultimately, this is what I came across in one of my studies. Pride and selfishness always go together, church. A truly humble person cannot be selfish pride is self-importance it's self-focus it leads to selfishness which leads to selfish thinking and selfish acting it's the opposite of what jesus commands us when he tells us to love with the agape love in john 13 pride is the root of selfishness and the root of all evil think about our world today church By golly, you don't have to go that far where things are evil. Within your own household, things are probably evil. Because we're selfish. We desire what we want, our way. You've probably heard it said, it's my way or the... That's not what Jesus said. He said, I came to serve, not to be served. James 3.16 says, Where there is jealousy and selfishness, there will also be disorder and every kind of evil. Selfishness causes evil. All evil proceeds from selfish actions. Selfishness is, only, man, is not the only manifest problem, but pride feeds it. Dealing with the root cause of the problem is the only lasting solution. I'm not going to give you the solution yet. I'm going to have to wait till the end. So stay tuned. But I believe we already know the solution. okay? And the world is looking for a solution to this problem. And by golly, they haven't found it if they haven't found it in the name of Jesus. okay? So this morning as we uh, start, I want to just play a game with you. okay? I want to play a game. I know Matt does this sometimes, and um, I felt like it would be fun. Okay. Try to add some positivity to this. Okay. So here, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to read a couple passages from um, from the Word of God. We're going to start in Mark chapter 10. If you want to go there, you can. You don't have to. Um, and I simply, am going to read, and I want you to tell me out loud whether you believe that what I just read was a person who was living a life who was selfish, or living a life who was not selfish. Mark chapter 10, verses 35 through 37. Very familiar passage. If you are. Uh, have been a member of the church for a long time or a follower of Jesus. Mark chapter 10, 35 through 37 says this. And James and John, the son of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Well, grant us to sit at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Selfish or not selfish, church? Hey, Amen. Alright, Genesis 13. I'm gonna have you all over here this morning. Okay, we'll get to, we'll get to Philippians in just a minute. Genesis 13, verses 8 and 9. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. Selfish or not selfish? selfish. You guys know what selfishness is, huh? I'm proud of you. All right. Luke 10. Luke 10. Verses 29 through 32. The parable of the Good Samaritan. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Selfish or not selfish? Selfish. Selfish. I have one more to read, and it's from the book of Genesis. And ultimately, this has been a passage for me to live by. One of the things that I continually pray, not on purpose, but it's just become part of my time of prayer, is that God is good. That God is good in every Situation, And we see here Joseph's response to his brothers. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sin, because they did evil to you. And now, please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God.'" and spoke kindly to them. Selfish or not selfish, church? Not selfish. So, within the context of the Bible, we even have examples of men and women who lived a life for themselves and ultimately who lived a life for others. So let's get to you now. And to me. Thanks, Mr. Caden. Signs that you or I may be a selfish person. Are you easily angered? Any small thing that happens outside of what you wanted, you become easily angered? Maybe it's that you only have a few, or maybe very little or none when it comes to intimate friendships and relationships. People that you can go to right now And he will share with you the truth of God's word. Or maybe it's just that you flat out ignore the rights of people around you. Or maybe it's God has blessed you, but yet you ignore the, the needy around you. I'm not sure where you're at in regards to your own selfishness. But I can tell you it's definitely something that we all ignore. And God's called us to something beyond that. As I have journeyed this Christian life since I was about 22, I made a decision for Jesus. And I'll share more about that at the very end. But, you know, the hardest thing for me in my life has been to figure out what it means to be a selfless person. A person who stops thinking about me and focuses on others. The world doesn't tell you to do that. But Jesus proclaims that we are called to look after the needs of others. So in honor of God's word today, what I'm going to have you do is we're going to stand and read the passage together. Um, If if you have a pew Bible in front of you, it's on page 1165. And if you have your own Bible, I don't know where it's at. Philippians chapter 2, verses, we're going to start in verse 1. Let's stand together as we read God's word. It'll be on the screen as well for you. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in the human form. He humbled himself. By becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You may say, Lord, thank you so much for your word. God, thank you that you have given us your word to be read and to be applied. God, to show us and reveal in us the darkness that's in us for sure, God, because of the nature of sin in us. May what we hear today not be my words, but ultimately may they be your words. May they speak life into your people that they may be encouraged and edified and equipped, God, and challenged to go out and do your work, that you might be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's a lot to get through today. <laughs> and I'm looking at the clock already. And so I'm going to do my best to get through the material that I have. But ultimately, I'm going to break it down for you because I'm a person that just wants to know right away what exactly that is it that you want me to hear today and do what I want you to leave with. And it's on the screen. okay? True biblical unity is found in humble obedience to the commands of Jesus. If you're a follower of Christ... This is the main idea for you today. If you've not given your life to Jesus, then you need to submit first to his authority in your life. So what do we have here within the text? What you'll notice is you'll see right off the gate, it says this. If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, and any affection and sympathy... What I love about that is it shouldn't say so, it should say since. If you are a believer in the name of Jesus Christ, then you should have already been encouraged. Amen? You should have already been comforted from his love or from the love of his people. Amen? Any participation in the spirit, meaning that the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells us, that helps us and drives us to do the right thing versus doing the wrong thing, that should have already happened for you. Or should be happening on an ongoing basis because no one's perfect. We're here being progressively changed from old me to new me. Changed from who I am today to who Jesus wants me to be when I see him and meet him face to face. Paul continues to say, any encouragement in Christ, any comfort, any participation, any affection and sympathy. Can any of you testify to affection and sympathy that's been given to you in the name of Jesus? By golly, I hope so, church. These are rhetorical. These are already answered for anybody who's in Christ with an emphatic yes. These are happening. So what does he say to do then? Three points. The first one, very simple. And I, don't, I, didn't, give you a, um, I didn't give you a breakdown of my, my slides today, so I apologize. But point one is very simple. Jesus is our example For biblical unity. Okay. Paul says. I need you to complete my joy. Philippians. How are you going to do that? By being of the same mind. And of the same love. Being in full accord. And of one mind. You keep hearing this theme of. Single mindedness. Focusing on the same things. Keeping the most important things. The most important things. So what exactly is biblical unity? Well, we can look to the triune God who defines that for us. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, perfectly together since the very beginning of time. But we also can look to each other and ask, what is it that God actually wants of each of us when it comes to biblical unity? Galatians 3 Verses 26-28 through says this For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God Through faith For as many of you were baptized into Christ You have put on Christ There is neither Jew nor Greek There is neither slave nor free there There is no male and female For you are all one in Christ Jesus If you've given your life to Christ If you've surrendered your life to Christ And I'm going to keep bringing that up today then we've been powered by the Holy Spirit that indwells us. We've been revitalized by God's Word that points us in the right direction for how we're called to live. We have a shared mission. Matthew 28 says that we're to go into all of the world baptizing and proclaiming the good news and making disciples. But we're also called to brotherly affection to serve the needs of the people around you both within your household which is your first ministry and then also within this household which is to me your second ministry and we've been reconciled to each other because of what Jesus has done so how do we do this I'm going to tell you a couple different things that we need to put off and a couple things that we need to put on first and foremost we need to put off selfish ambition look at the text Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Let me just be frank. This is you walking around saying, it's my way or the highway. It's my preference that we're doing the things my way. When I walk into the church, it should be done the way that I think it should be done. That's selfish. Conceit. What does he mean by conceit? Empty glory. Walking around, and man, I can attest to this when I was a, when I was a, a high school kiddo, and even in the college. I'm so good. Look at me. How many articles in the newspaper were written about me? What can I be nominated for today? And I'm afraid that many of us are still living a life like that. I'm so important. I'm so able. I'm so talented. Why don't they ask me questions? Why don't they come to me? That's what we have to put off. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. That's why we're here today. Selfish sin is subtle, and it pulls us away from biblical unity. It fuels grudges and anger and bitterness, sadness, loneliness, hatred, and so much more. And ultimately, it keeps us from reflecting Jesus to the people outside of these walls. We have to be unified because ultimately that's what Christ has called us to do, that he might be glorified. When people walk into the church, they should see a body of believers who are unified. Not because we look the same or act the same, but because we have one God who is in heaven. His name is Jesus Christ. That's what unifies us, church. So we need to put off being selfish, put off being conceited. We need to put on a lowliness of mind. Go back to the text. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look, excuse me, let each of you look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. So I told you what you need to put off. Here's what we need to put on, church. We need to be lowliness in mind. Literally, we need to be meek people, humble, having an understanding that we, in and of ourselves, are nothing according to the Word of God. Do you realize that? I think at times we attend church and serve on committees, maybe be in a small group. And we get to a place where we feel like we've made it. This is where God wants me. And I think that God calls you to do those things, but you've not made it yet. Recognize that you're still sinful. And you still need a savior today. He also says that we need to put on to esteem others more than ourselves. What's that actually mean? We have to look around you. Get outside of yourselves for just a moment and see the needs of the people around you church I was not very good at this either I don't proclaim this to you because i'm perfect at this. I proclaim this because this is what jesus tells us We need to do if we want to look like jesus then we need to start acting like jesus Looking for the needs of people in the church. Do you know the needs of the people in the church right now? Maybe the maybe the people in your pew you might not even know that if it's your spouse or your child Or your close friend, you should know the needs that they have. Well, Chris, how how am I going to know their needs? Then you ask them. You communicate. You pray for. You ask for the eyes of Christ and the ears of Christ and a heart that says, I have a desire to serve you. That's how you find out their needs. But what about the people in the church? There's so many of us. Look around there. I don't know everybody. Build a relationship with someone that you don't know. God has not called us to comfort he is the God of all comfort. Please not call us to always be comfortable. Secondly, our second point of the day. Jesus is our example of true, unconditional love. The love that we have ultimately comes from God. God is love. We know this church. It says this: Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look to your own interest but also to the interest in others. And above that, he says that we need to have, if there's encouragement from, his, from Christ, any comfort from his love, we need to have the same mind and having the same love. Paul's not speaking of his own love. He's speaking of the love that comes from Christ. Our love, first and foremost, church, you cannot do this if you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus. Living like Jesus requires who church that was not a trick question okay let me just say that one more time living like jesus requires jesus wow we're going to say that one more time living like jesus requires jesus you cannot do it by yourself and if you don't have a vertical relationship with jesus himself this will not work for you Because he's the one that's going to convict us. He's the one that's going to give us the eyes to see. And he's going to give us the ones to be courageous enough to step out into something when you see a need. So we have to first recognize that love comes from God. We have to first then have a relationship with Christ. And then we need to also put the needs of the people around us. What's that look like? A couple different things. First of all, it's sacrificial. Are you willing to Sacrifice? Are you willing to sacrifice your time? Are you willing to sacrifice your treasures? Are you willing to sacrifice your comfort? Jesus did. If he's our example, then we have to do what he did. It takes commitment, church. Are you committed day in and day out? I'm willing to stand up for Jesus no matter what. I have a friend that's going through cancer right now, and I'll share briefly that it's not going well. And I talked to this person, and she essentially can't walk it right now. Okay, can't walk at all. And she said, my husband, every day, he takes care of me. He dresses me. He makes dinner. He gets our kids to and from sports. He, he, he. And I thought, what an example of a selfless individual. That's what we need in the church. People who are willing to be committed when it's good and also when it's not so good. All right, lastly, I have to share with you two points so far. Jesus is our example for our unity, biblical unity. He's our example for biblical love. And lastly, he's our example of true humility. Look, look back at the text. is our example of true humility. Four ways that Jesus exemplifies this. And there's a lot here to chew on, and I'm not going to delve into a lot of it when it comes to theological. But I want you to think about Jesus. Within the text, it says this, that he thinks of others, not himself. In verses 5 and 6, he proclaims that. He serves others. So not only is he thinking about them, like, wow, I, I really see that need over there. That's an awesome thing that they have there and then walks away, he sees it and acts. That's being obedient. He sacrifices. And he glorifies God. One more time. He thinks of others. He serves others. He sacrifices. And lastly, he glorifies God in what he does. I want you to think about this. As I thought about this, it really gave perspective of what Jesus has accomplished for us and how much he truly suffered for us. Broken people in need of a Savior and the only thing that could have happened that would have brought us close to God was for there to be a lamb, a sacrificial lamb. Here's some examples that Jesus suffered for us. He... He was humble and that he took the form of a man and not a more glorious creature like an angel. He was humble in that he was born into an obscure, oppressed place. He was humble in that he was born into poverty among a despised people. He was humble in that he was born as a child instead of appearing as a man. He was humble in submitting to the obedience appropriate to a child in a household. He was humble in learning and practicing a trade and humble trade of a builder. He was humble in the long wait until he launched out into public ministry. He was humble in the companions and disciples he chose. He was humble in the audience he appealed to and the way he taught. He was humble in the temptations he allowed and endured. He was humble in the weakness, the hunger, the thirst, and tiredness he endured. He was humble in his total obedience to the Heavenly Father. He was humble in his submission to the Holy Spirit. He was humble in choosing and submitting to the death of cross. He was humble in his agony of his death. He was humble in the shame, the mocking, the public humiliation of his death. And lastly, he was humble in enduring the spiritual agony of sacrifice on the cross, church. Do we realize what Jesus has accomplished? Let that sit in for just a moment. May our prayer be each day when we arise that we don't take for granted what Jesus has already done. As I said earlier, Jesus is our example. There's the target, church. How are you doing? How are you doing at living a life in separation of the world and for the name of Jesus? I know I'm not doing well. I have three points for you and I really tried to make these practical and I know I went through a lot of material really quickly but I want you to realize that if you simply just hear the words I speak and leave here unchanged you're not being obedient to God. You have to begin putting steps into your life that are practical applications so that Jesus will be glorified. So step number one what can I do? To start living a life of humility. Step one, look to serve the needs around you. And start in your home. That is your number one ministry. Husbands, love your wives. Communicate with her. Date her. And you do all the planning. Don't wait for her to say, we're going on a date tonight. Wrong. You do your job, which is to serve your wife. And if you have children, which I do, it's hard. Kids are hard because they're selfish, right? I mean, we come right back full circle, guys. But it's our job to point our children to Jesus. Not Pastor Drew's job. We have to do the work. That means you have to be intentional, Seek biblical accountability. If we want to be more like Jesus, we need people telling us what we're doing that's not like Jesus. Or we'll walk around proclaiming, look at me. I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. God is so honored by me. Instead of, brother, do you know what you just said and how you said it to your wife? That's wrong. Or, dude, you've got to put up boundaries in your life or that pornography is going to hurt you. Do you have somebody in your life to say those things to you? We need to find biblical accountability. And that's for men and that's for women. That's for mature or immature. I don't care where you're at in your journey of faith. You need to find someone to say the right things and the hard things and to love you in spite of where you're at. And then lastly, there we go, we need to seek to establish biblical relationships. And really, if you're a person that's here today and you're like, hey, I I haven't even really surrendered my life to Christ yet, that last one may not be for you. And that's okay. But if you're a person that says, hey, I'm I'm a devoted follower of Jesus Christ, the question that I ask a lot of people that I I come into contact with is, who are you discipling? Who are you pointing to because ultimately this is what we have been commanded to do I I have just a few minutes here and I want to talk about something that's really dear to my heart and it's the human condition believe it or not church you may know this and you may not but according to the Bible we're not very good in fact, it says that there are, there's none that is good. Genesis 8.21 says this. Every inclination of his heart, meaning man, is evil from childhood. Think about that, church. Every inclination that you have is evil from childhood. And you wonder why your children are so selfish Psalm fourteen three says, all, all, raise your voices, say it with me. Who, how many? All. all have turned aside. They have become corrupt. There's no one that does good. Not even one. Isaiah 1, 5 through 6 says, your whole head is injured. Your whole heart is afflicted from the sole of your foot to the top of your head. There is no soundness. Matthew 15, 19, from out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual morality, theft, false testimony, slander. Church, this is all bad news. Chris, when do you bring in the good news? The good news is that Jesus has overcome. The good news is that Jesus wants to help you. But you have to accept Jesus. The first step to being truly humble is a recognition that you in and of yourself can do nothing but in Christ. In Christ, I'm a new believer. I have a new life. I'm a new creation. The question is, do you know him? Have you surrendered your life yet to Jesus? Jesus. I'm not talking about coming to church. That's awesome. I applaud you for being here. But until you give your life to Jesus, nothing else matters. I was a person who was... I was broken in need of the Savior, and I didn't even know it. Addicted to myself, addicted to pornography, addicted to drugs, living a life for myself. And Jesus opened my eyes one day, and I don't even know what happened. I know that I, I stopped doing drugs, and something happened and occurred, but... Jesus changed me and transformed me and made me new today. It's your choice. Do you want to be humble? Give your life to Jesus. But Chris, I've already given my life to Jesus. What do I need to do? Surrender. Surrender. Too many of us come to church and proclaim that this is what I'm supposed to do. No. This is only part of what you're called to do. You're called to surrender your life. No matter what's happening, Jesus is enough. Hardships in your marriage. Jesus is enough. Discipline issues with your children. Jesus is enough. I don't have a job. I don't know what to do. Jesus is enough. I have addiction issues. Jesus is enough. Do you believe that? Are you searching for something else in your life that's going to give you hope? I don't mean to be so hard. But this is what Jesus wants for you. To fully surrender your lives and place your whole trust in him. And to proclaim every day, regardless of the circumstances around you, that Jesus, you are enough. You have two choices. Will you live for yourself? Or are you going to live for Jesus? There's no in between. You're either a follower of Jesus or you're not. What will you choose? Let's pray. God, I thank you so much. God, I thank you so much for transformation that you have had in my, my life God I wouldn't be here without you and I know that there are people here today that man, they maybe just need to recommit their life or God, maybe they need to surrender and recognition that God you are enough for them God whatever they're going through I don't know what they're going through but you do God would they surrender their life to you this morning Even now, as we just sit, God, would you stir in their hearts a desire, a passion that says, I'm not leaving here today unchanged. In my heart, I need to make a choice. Am I a follower of Jesus or am I a follower of this world? God, you love us. And s- despite all of our wickedness and hatefulness and selfishness, you love us enough that you brought your son and he died on the cross for our sins. May we know that this morning. Would that encourage us to be selfless around those around us that you might be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.